This episode is sponsored by United Refrigeration and Westermeyer Industries, revolutionizing your HVACR experience. Visit URI.com for all your HVACR needs, offering real-time inventory, personalized pricing, and a nearby stock feature. Access quick pick replacement parts and branch details effortlessly. With 350 plus fully stocked locations across North America, our knowledgeable staff are ready to assist with the solutions you need. Exclusive offer, use code ARPOD on URI.com to get a $10 gift card when purchasing the Westermeyer oil float, part number W4300-38F. These high-performance floats are not just compatible with their own oil separators, but also available as a crossover model, conveniently stocked at United Refrigeration. That's code A-R-P-O-D to claim your $10 gift card. Visit URI.com now. John, how can you always have the right TV for the right application without carrying hundreds of valves on your truck? You can carry the hundreds of valves on a trailer behind your truck. That's too funny. That would work, but... How are you going to do that? Maybe there's an easier way. You can use Sporland's interchangeable cartridge style Type Q and Type BQ uh, TEVs. Type Q is a conventional design and Type BQ is a balanced port TEV. Well, come on, I need easy. How easy is it? Uh, easy is one, two, three. And it serves thousands of unique applications. So what's the process? How do I put this together? First, you select the thermostatic element assembly. Then you select the body that you need. Then you select the right size cartridge for the application to get the proper capacity TEV for your application. And then I guess it should also be said you want to actually assemble those to a single valve. That'd probably be a good idea. These easy to select and assemble valves mean you're always carrying the right valve for the right job then. If folks want to learn more, what do they do? Uh, you can go to sporland.com and find more information on the Type Q and BQ thermostatic expansion valves. I guess that's Jim and John for Sporland signing off. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Advanced Refrigeration Podcast. You're the host, Brett Wetzel and Kevin Compass. Are you in Detroit, sir? Uh, unfortunately, yes. Yeah, how's that going this week? At least I'm in a much better hotel this time. <laughs> I was going to say your internet's working. Yeah, I'm not in a crack house motel that I was in last time. In the canton? Uh, no, it was nice area, bad hotel. No, this is my another startup from hell or everything that could go wrong has gone wrong. Yeah, let's talk about some of that stuff that you can talk about. Can you talk well, about any of it? Mostly right now. I, I should have been home tonight, but one manufacturer decided to not ship the parts out that we told them were bad last Wednesday. Baltimore. And they decided to ship them today mm -hmm. from Mexico. Oh, so it's got to go through customs. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. For the rack that needed to run today. Oh, cool. So I, I guess the rack is not running today. No. Awesome. It probably won't be running tomorrow. Sweet. And they're about to get like a foot of snow. So what Detroit is? Like the whole like area over here. I will never make it home. Oh no. We might as well work the weekend then, right? I'm so not happy. I have, I have other stuff to do. This is this should have been done, wrapped up, and yeah. I'm sorry. That that same manufacturer maybe get on FaceTime to condemn. <laughs> 
said stuff, <laughs> which I'm still irritated about. But uh... <clears throat> so you're having a good week. That's good. Yeah, it's been a great week. I, I spent like Monday and Tuesday tuning TFDs and suction groups and uh, on microthermal and trying to figure that all out. Yeah. Figure out how to actually do it because there really isn't any good instructions online for the 700 stuff yet. Gotcha. So, spent most of my day trying to figure that out. So that's been my day. It's been more boring stuff trying to make these racks work that are just massively oversized. Oh no. You have everything you have everything potentially ready to run. You're waiting on cases or boxes or anything like that. So it's one massive medium temp box and then two low temp boxes and some like wall freezers. Both low temp racks only run one low temp compressor at 50% with every really? Yeah. And then there's the medium temp side of those racks that barely run and all they're doing is the low temp. And then there's me, a medium temp booster rack that is running half of this massive box. And if I open up the EVs, the box comes down to temp on two mm-hmm. compressors. And there's a whole nother rack that goes in there. Oh, so you got to keep it like semi loaded. So it doesn't, so it doesn't satisfy. There is no load. <laughs> like there's no load. That's amazing. Yeah, and then trying to tune out there being no load with massively mm-hmm. oversized compressors has been a just a treat. Mm-hmm. And that brings on like part of what I want to talk to tonight. We have had a ton of like random frequency issues mm-hmm. because of the low load. <laughs> nice. I'm as I'm, I'm up in Canada. I've been up here. I, I flew in Monday. And I've had an interesting week. I, I, I did not know that they didn't have plastic bags at gas stations. So at like 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night, I wanted some food and snacks for you know the next day. And I was like, can, can I have a, can I have a bag? He's like, no, we don't have a bag. I was like, can I have a box? He's like, no, we don't have a box. I was like, what do you have? Because I said, I can't just look like whatever, just carrying the stuff across the street. And so he hands me a garbage bag. So I look like a homeless man going into this nice hotel across the street, carrying this over my back like a hobo. I also would be the first time you kicked out of a hotel. I didn't get kicked out of a hotel. I just, I no, I was went to the gas station and looked like a homeless man. Shut up. No, no, I, and then I also needed cigarettes. And so the first night I didn't know that they did, like, I thought they didn't have cigarettes because I didn't know that in Canada they don't let you display said cigarettes. And then after Andre told me that they do have cigarettes, I, I went there the next day and, and got cigarettes, but I didn't know they were like walking dead cigarettes. Like they have a picture of a, a woman that looks like, you know, she was a character on The Walking Dead. Face is all screwed up. Teeth is all screwed up. And it's just like a scare tactic to basically not make you smoke. Yeah, so that was cool. I, I've done nothing but eat. I've probably gained, for our Canadian listeners, I probably uh, gained about 4.5 kilograms. And uh, yeah, I, I've been starting up this Septech trainer that we were taking back. I should be getting shipped out in on Friday. And just working out just about all the programming, make sure everything's, you know, straight. When I go have it down for Houston, I don't have any issues starting it up or whatever. And yeah, that's about it. I also got a tour of the, the SEPT or the, I'm sorry, the Ref Plus facility. 
where they make all the coils and they talked about their a bunch of new technologies they do. I'm going to have a couple of the guys on the podcast here in a little bit. They talk about they have a, a epoxy cover coil that looks pretty cool where you get a little bit of um, life out of it. And they'll talk a little bit more about that. And then they also have this adiabatic that does no longer have pads. The water doesn't actually get on the coil. It sprays a mist on the opposite direction of, of the coil. And so by the time it atomizes all the moisture, it actually drops the, the wet bulb temperature and works like a conventional adiabatic, just no pads. So it reduces the amount of pressure drop going across the across the gas cooler coils. So can't wait to have them on too. But yeah, let's let's get into are we just talking about VFD tuning for for gas coolers? Are we talking compressors? What are we doing? Everything? Yeah, we'll do kind of everything. I want to go over more so the frequency uh, issues. So okay. we had a we had a rash of like bad frequencies, which I want to go over. This is more of like a this this affects all VFD compressors. It doesn't matter. I'm sorry. Let me rephrase it. All VFD recip compressors end up having this. I've never seen a screw have it. Have you ever seen a screw have? No, but you know what else that I found out today. So the trainer that, that, that I bought, the coolest bought, like the, it doesn't, we don't have to skip frequency. This thing is ridiculously quiet. And it was because I was talking to the guy that programmed it, Yvonne, and, and we asked about skipping frequencies and you didn't have to skip anything. Like there, there's no frequency that the, the, the Copeland recip doesn't like. We've had ones where we've had to delete frequencies out of them. And even Copeland normal recips, it, it's a, it's an issue with. It's an inherent thing from what I've been told that all recip compressors inherently have some frequency that it just doesn't like. Now, the issue is with, with this is when you hit these frequencies, sometimes these compressors become like violent. And the, the frequencies could be enough for the first one that we noticed was just shaking the sheet metal little tab on the drive a little bit, just a tiny little frequency. Okay. Those ones are not that bad. They can get to the point where they're snapping discharge lines or oil lines because it shakes the entire rack so violently that it starts wearing out clamps and rubbing through lines. Now, it happens. It's not a bad compressor. There's nothing you could really do about on the compressor side. What you can do is every VFD has this, at least from what I've seen. ABB, Dan Foss, every major VFD has this. You, you could tell the VFD to skip frequencies. So what I have been doing when we do a CO2 startup is I put the drive in hand and I'll start at the minimum at uh a medium to low head pressure. I'll start at the minimum and I'll go frequency by frequency. One hertz by one hertz. Just keep going until I find them. And then I'll figure out where it starts shaking and I'll figure out where it stops. It's usually two to three hertz. Like the bitters, it seems 31 to 33 hertz. They all hate. They all just shake. So like right away, I pretty much just delete them out of all of them. Like when I'm doing the startup, I'll just program 31 the 33 hertz out of all the drives. So that way we don't even deal with it because I've seen so many shake at that. So I'll just delete those. But today, like one rack had six different frequencies that had to get deleted. And it was like one to two hertz. So what happens when you do this is that drive decides to skip over that 
it'll skip over that frequency. So it'll go from, say it's ramping down, it's going to go from 34 hertz down to 30. It's going to skip those for four hertz. Not really going to notice it too much. You're not losing any capacity. It's just going to skip over that and prevent that shaking and that violence from happening. It is not good. I, I've seen it wear out clamps. I've seen it break lines, snap oil lines. Usually it ends up snapping an oil line first. Have you ever seen where the, yeah, there was something with one of the compressors where they actually had to increase the length of the discharge line because I guess there was so much in, it wasn't like, it wasn't really due to the VFD, but because of the, there was so much stress from the harmonic, just it, harmonics of the, of the compressor, the discharge lines were too short. So after extending them, it actually reduced the amount of breakage. So I learned something like this. This one of the zero zone engineers was having us teach us a little bit about this. So it matters how much straight pipe you have coming out of that compressor. There's the actual mathematical equations to how much straight pipe coming out of that service valve before you have a 90. So generally eight, it's around eight inches. And if you start looking at this, like in the compressors that have that, even on like normal racks, like I started like paying more attention to this, like compressors that are breaking discharge lines and stuff. Generally they have a closer piece of pipe than eight inches to the first 90 out of the discharge line or the first bend. And it causes stress cracks and it causes harmonics. That's a big thing, even not on non-VFD compressors, that harmonics on there, actually making sure that you're designing a discharge line, it's actually correct. So we've been doing like a lot of compressor change outs and I've been harping on guys like, there needs to be at least a minimum of eight inches to a foot of pipe. It's it's difficult. You may have to do a swing joint, make it look weird, but I'd rather look weird than break a discharge line. 100%. Absolutely. Yeah, there was some manufacturers that were having, I know that a couple zero zone stores, we had to repipe that they, before there was even a problem, they sent us like service valves. And had us repipe a discharge lines on the low temp and the medium temp TC compressor, the TC compressors and the subcritical compressors. They had us repipe all of it because they had some harmonics and instead of just deleting it out of the drive compressors, because it was not just the drive compressors, there was harmonics on the others. They were wanting us to extend all the lines out and it did help with the harmonics a lot. No, I'm glad, I'm glad we talked about that because especially it's, it's frustrating enough when it breaks, but then I think it just keeps breaking and breaking and you really don't know why. It's a good thing to know to make it prevent it from happening again and again. Yeah, except for scrolls. Like if I have a scroll break a discharge line, it's getting replaced. When it, when a scroll has a, a crack in a line, like on, even on a single condensing unit, I'm, I'm usually putting a, a vibration eliminator. The rule is with vibration eliminators, and I, I don't get it off topic, but since you brought it up, Making sure that if you do install a vibration eliminator, they always have to be installed parallel with the crankshaft. So on single condensing units, on a scroll, you want to make sure it's parallel with the compressor. If you have a, a your regular semi-hermetic, obviously you're going to make sure it's parallel with the crank. Uh, like protocol racks, like if I have a broken discharge line or a broken uh, e line, 
hundred percent. And if it's not like obvious, like the clamps are missing, it's getting a new compressor because generally that compressor, something's wrong with it. And that's why it broke the discharge line. I'll, this is the last thing I'm going to say. So on, on some racks where they have, in regard, when we have a scroll rack and you're cracking on the suction line or discharge line or whatever, on those scrolls where we have the vapor injection, the suction and the discharge and the oil line, if it had a steel mount for the for the feet, keep it a steel mount for the feet. I've had a rack where it kept breaking the same same area of the suction line. They were even terminating the cracks and it would just open, just open up another crack, putting so much stress on it. And you could see when the compressor started up, it was twisting and then all the other ones weren't. And it was because they, most, all the compressors, when you get a brand new compressor, you got these rubber feet in and your right thing to do is to replace it with those feet. And I uh, played Sesame Street. One of these things is not like the other. The only thing that had was different than all the rest of them is all the rest of them had steel feet and this one had rubbers. So we, we ended up uh, putting washers underneath it because we couldn't find the you know steel feet that were in there, and it hasn't broken. I don't know. It's been about a year and a half. I wonder if that's why all the breaks so many discharge lines. And you look at the target racks; they never ever break discharge lines. The Think target like racks are hard mounted. Yeah, the, the P fresh doors, right? The ones that they're up on the roof typically, where they usually have the steel feet. So because you got to remember, like I said, you got the oil line, discharge line, suction line, and the vapor injection. Yeah. If you have like that, just even having that rubber on there, you'll see it like it twists like at least a quarter inch. And that never had to fix. I think one, I've had one broken discharge line in six years at a P fresh store, a compressor. And it was like a violently destroyed Bro compressor. Yeah. It was broke. It was a broken compressor, right? Oh, but it was like the motor was like just jumping around inside of it. But on the protocols, they typically have the rubber feet. So I, I would probably venture to guess if, if you would try to put some steel steel washers in the, in the bottom and you actually tighten it down, I'd think that would help exponentially. It'd probably rip the bottom plate of it. <laughs> You're such a... I hate you so much. <laughs> I hate you. Where's the lie? <laughs> no, but yeah. So that that's an issue. What? They know. So, it's not my fault they make that plate out of Play-Doh. Back to VFDs, sir. I hate you. It's a leftover Kydex from Kids K-Skins. God, I hate you. <laughs> All right, so... Back to VFDs. So not so much a VFD thing is making sure all the compressors are going the same direction. Making sounds sure stupid. It's not Play-Doh. <laughs> it sounds stupid, but making sure that all the compressors are going the same direction and like you don't have one that is wired brown, orange, yellow, and one's wired yellow, orange, brown, and the phasing's different because that will make harmonics. Not every time. But you will have these times where you have random harmonics and you could, it could cause random line breaks because you got one compressor going clockwise, one compressor going counterclockwise. Yeah, it doesn't really seem like it would matter much because it's a recip and it just is what it is. But it, it can and it can make harmonics and it could make bad frequencies and cause discharge lines to break. So that's another thing to watch out for. And I, I see this quite frequently doing startups like you'll. I've been popping the compressor 
tops off to look at them unless there's 16 pounds of uh, dielectric grease underneath them. Those ones, I just, it's just, it's a wing and a prayer if, it, if it's backwards. I'm not scooping out the dielectric grease, but with a, a shovel. You could technically use a, a rotation indicator, right? I don't like using those or putting them on Why? anything because I've seen so many videos of them exploding. They they will if you, if they're not rated for the voltage that you're checking. That's one thing you do have to check. You have to make sure they're rated for the voltage. Like just recently, I, I just purchased a new one for training purposes so you can actually see what happens to the VFD and that. And I, I ordered it and then it was hindsight where I'm like, crap, forgot to check what, what the voltage is rated for, but it was rated for 600 volts. So I was straight. Yeah, I've watched so many of them blow up. I'm like, yeah, I'm good. But yeah, making sure that all of that. Here's the problem with those. You got to put it on the compressor because what if it's swapped at the compressor and not the. Today's episode is sponsored by the RefRush Shield RDP series differential pressure monitors from Westermeyer Industries, now available for transcritical CO2 systems in addition to other common pressures and refrigerants. When the filter element of your coalescing oil separator is contaminated, it can hurt your system's performance and efficiency. But how do you know when it's time to replace that filter? Wait too long to replace and you could end up with a nasty filter blowout. But replacing too often can be a waste of time and money. The answer is installing a differential pressure monitor. The RDP series differential pressure monitors, including the new transcritical CO2 model, are available now from Westermeyer Industries. To find out more information, email sales at westermeyerin.com. That's W-E-S-T-E-R-M-E-Y-E-R-I-N-T-Com. So, yeah, yeah you still got to you still gotta verify it, but it is what it is. So you need to verify it that part of it making sure that rotation is correct but like that's what i've seen the most especially on startup i see phases flipped all the time they'll flip l2 and l1 l2 l3 and l1 that with the compressors inverted differently so i'll see that making sure that you flip those and i might lie just flip them usually flip them back at the contactor i don't like taking the compressors apart because it's usually a pain so i'll flip them there and then make sure they're all the same and then just remark them Make sure that all your phasing is good, but like the CO2 compressors, especially, or any other compressor, if you're doing a DX store, make sure that you run through the frequencies one by one. And then I usually kick it like transcritical or I'll kick, simulate a high head pressure situation. Like maybe raise it up like 250 if it's like a 448 store and then I'll run through those frequencies again to make sure that we don't have, when we get a little higher head pressure, we don't have another frequency that pops out because like today I ran a transcritical rack and transcritical and i ended up having to delete like one more frequency out of another rack they wouldn't have popped up till it was like 90 out and do so you run it during subcritical and run through step through step by step and then bump it up to cc pressures and then run it through again yep and then i run it through again to make sure i don't have any frequencies frequency issues that's how i've been testing them to make sure i don't have any harmonic issues and then making sure you have the correct horsepower in them. Because I've seen this a lot, especially in the Bitzers. It'll say 25 horse on it. It's not necessarily a 25 horse compressor. So you need to actually look up what it actually is. In that application, that may be a 30 horse compressor. So you need to look and see what the application you're running. Because I've seen this where 
it goes into torque limiting on the drive, especially the Danfosses. They go into the preset limits. They go into torque limiting, and they start shaft stalling. It it starts over amping and it starts shaft stalling. And then the drive just locks out, and the compressor's smoking hot because it, it it didn't get enough speed on the shaft to keep it going, and it locks out. So making sure that horsepower is actually right, just because it says it's a twenty five horse doesn't mean shit. Also making sure the cell rate and the decel rate is correct because that can also cause your torque stall. And just so you know, guys know, like what we're referring to as torque stall is, you know, when you start a compressor up, what'll happen is there is so much, you know, starting torque because you're fighting against the discharge valves and that, and it's a big mass that it needs to turn. You'll see it want to give a reference of 60 hertz or whatever, but then it because it's starting up so slow or the torque was set to, or the horsepower was set too low, you'll see it hit let's just say 10 or 15 hertz the amperage will be hitting that limit and then it knocks it back down where it just it doesn't want to keep over amping the compressor so it just keeps playing this limbo game i just recently diagnosed a call over the phone where a guy had a, a cooling tower cooling towers typically set for about a 30 30 second accelerate but because there were so many belts and there were b belts on there was four b belts on there we stepped it up to about 45 second accelerate. So 30 seconds was way too fast for it. We had to ease it up in 45 seconds is where we set it and it, it ramped up. It didn't stall, didn't do the torque stall at all on that big WEG motor and just rolled out. Yeah, I see it more so on compressors where it's an issue that torque stalling and then the accelerates. Like I see a lot of people putting accelerates at 10 seconds. I like to run them faster, five seconds. I want to see the accelerates, but because yeah, three to five ish faster, the accelerate, it seems to keep the shaft stalling from happening. So that, that, that's one thing is well, there, sure there, that, good. Sorry. There, there is too fast and there is too slow. So it's, you start learning as you start doing more and more of these, you'll see, Hey, this worked for this kind of compressor for the accelerate or and then, hey, maybe this compressor didn't like it, or hey, this is a scroll, there's not so much torque on it, let's do it that way. Or maybe it starts up unloaded, you know what I mean? So it's a play game where you'll find, all right, well, that didn't work, I feel more confident. It's, it's really getting comfortable with what a lot of these settings do in the actual VFD to actually make yourself better so you fully understand that what's really happening with this stuff. I remember one of our early podcasts, we, were, we did one with uh, Matt Asbell, and that dude, I, it was a two-parter, man. We fucking talked for hours, and that cat knows VFDs like no one's business. Oh, yeah. When that's all you do, and that's, that's a specialized thing. I, I will admit, Dan Foss has those drives. I love their drives. They make a solid drive. 100%. They do, and it's just easy to set up. It's just It's easy. It's easy to use the computer app. It's just an easy all around like drive, like especially for compressors. It's just making sure you guys get that horsepower set up correctly because it does change your amp draws and making sure your amp draws are set up properly. And then your overcurrent on startup, usually, I usually put it to the max. So whatever the RLA, do you do, you do 1.15 with the service factor or you just do what the max, what the compressor is? So I do max of what the compressor is for the RLA. Usually the manufacturer list, like what the RLA is going to be. And then whatever the max of that drive is, 
for the starting amp draw, I max it out. The, the stop the shaft stall issue. And every time I've seen it not really maxed out, it, it has shaft stall issues. No matter how fast you try to start it. So that's another thing to keep in mind with that. But also making sure your voltage is right. So you could have the unit set for, let's just say the, the name plate on the actual evaporative condenser or whatever says 460 on it. Then you find that the motor is actually a 480. Make it at 480. Cause you obviously lower the voltage that you run in there, higher the amperage. So making sure the voltage is, is, is set for what, what the motor is actually rated for. Yeah, that, that's a big one too. Other than that, if you're controlling it off a zero to 10 volt signal, making sure that's all right, making sure that if it's 10 to zero, making sure that is also set up correctly. So I, I had one today, or it was yesterday that really got me and I felt like an idiot halfway through because of the way the wiring diagram was laid out and the rack was laid out. We had all these drives and they were working at one point and if you looked at the drive you would think it's ramping up and down the frequency is changing on the drive the zero to ten is changing on the drive the voltage signals change what it should be is changing on the drive the drive's not doing anything just running full speed so oh okay i know you had a manufacturer changed the screen uh displays so it was not actually displaying the actual frequency. It was called, it was displaying the frequency it was called for. Oh. It was displaying the voltage that it was calling for, not the voltage that it was. So if you look at this drive, you'd be like, oh, okay. Like you walk by the EMS is calling for this. It's working fine. It's 50%. And you're like, okay, cool. Well, they had a preset manual override switch on this drive on this door. Mm. There's an auto and a manual switch. Nowhere mm. in the manual di in the, the diagrams does it differentiate differentiate the two. Nowhere in the diagram does it show if what auxiliary switch on the back side of the switch was on there goes where. Mm. And then they swapped all the wire tags around. What? So there's this preset drive limit in there. So it was locking the drives at 70 Hertz. Just and when they were put in manual, they would just ramp up to 70. When they, when they were in manual mode, they would ramp normally and they would function a hundred percent normally. So they swapped the auxiliary switch that had the, the manual resistor on it. So they, what they do is they took 24 volts off the drive ran it through a switch and then ran it through a uh, resistor and that gave a fixed speed of 70 Hertz. Lame. Yeah. Super lame because they flipped the auxiliary except they flipped it in a different spot on every single rack. So if you looked at all the racks, they were all different. Wait, all different wrong or all different? All different they were all wrong. So when you looked at it, because like usually every when one of the switches was in a different spot. <laughs> what the fuck? Yeah. All the wires were in different spots. All the switches you were know, in you, different spots. I think you're just very mean. That's what I think. What? Why? <laughs> yes. Very mean. I was very mean. 
<laughs> but that took me like three hours to figure out. And by the time I tracked it down, because I, I couldn't figure out why the drive, I thought it was a drive issue mm-hmm. because the drive wasn't doing anything, but it was said it was doing stuff. And did that, did, ended up what, being what was the wiring. How was the wiring? Was the wiring diagram right or wrong? If you looked at it, it showed everything in the off position. It was extremely difficult to troubleshoot whether it was auto or manual. And there was no explanation of which way it went. <laughs> yeah, it took way longer than it should have. And, but yeah, that, that was my VFD nightmare. If you look at this, like they looked like the drive was messed up because it was saying it was ramping. But it was then I figured out the, the way they had the display set up, it was displaying what it was calling for, not what it actually was. So if anyone doesn't know, there's a quick, was it called quick menu or a quick screen on the Danfoss drives where you can actually select what's actually shown. And you don't have to you don't have to shut the VFD down for that or shut the shut shut down where the the, the, the compressor's not running or whatever. You can do this and the while the compressor's running because it has nothing really to do with the operation. It's just really the display for the screen. So you can select what's shown, whether it's percentage called for, percentage that's actually running. You can show the amperage. I, I like doing the, the percentage called for percentage and the the amperage that it's it's physically doing. So you can see if it's especially when you're first starting these things up. So you can see if it's actually torqued on or not. Oh, I fixed that because it pissed me off. <laughs> <laughs> You've done so much of these. Aren't a lot of those racks standard? I'm, I'm surprised you don't have one of the Dan Foss fascias with the program already hooked up with different horsepower compressors. No, because it's all janky all the time. So it's not that much to they program them. I usually do it off my laptop. I've never done that. I always yeah, do it just show. No, you just need a printer cord. And you go to Dan, my, the, the, download that my Dan Foss suite, suites, and it's super simple. You can really? program it drive in minutes. Get the hell out. Yeah, it's super easy. I'm going to have to scope that out. I, no. it, and it's a lot easier to troubleshoot them because you could see all like the inputs and outputs. So uh, tomorrow I'm going to play with the Emerson drives that they have on there. And apparently they're Bluetooth. I haven't been able to find the app yet, but you can actually hook up to the drives themselves and you can program the drives as well as viewing what the hell's going on with them. I don't know about the whole Bluetooth thing. Nah, we'll see. We'll have the case controllers, the CC200, the S3C, they're all doing that now. They can, or if they can do it with a case controller, they can do it with a drive. We'll see. Yeah, I, I hate using my phone for shit like that. It's too small. Yeah, but you, yeah, but you'll use your tablet all day long to set super eats. Yeah, it's a tablet. Use your but tablet. It's an, Apple, it's an Apple product, and I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I don't know what else to talk about drives. We do condensers, but I usually don't see frequency issues in condensers. Mm-hmm. Generally, when condensers are falling apart, it's usually a it's usually a fan issue. I will say this, making sure that I've seen this a couple of weeks ago. We had a fuse blow in a drive and it was shaking the motors back and forth. So if you blow up input fuse on a drive, a three phase fuse or a three phase drive, it'll actually make its own phase, third phase. So it, it will become a phase generator. So it'll take single phase power and make it three phase power. 
But what happens is it usually over amps and it starts stalling. It'll do like that shaft stall. It'll do that kind of stalling deal and it'll start shaking the motors back and forth. So they'll start like wigging out. And I've seen all the shafts snap in half on a condenser. We had a store like 10 years ago where they snapped every single condenser shaft. Holy crap. The other thing I will tell you that can happen besides that, because people do it at farms all the time. They need to run a, a drill pet press or something like that on the farm. Garage like this. Yeah, you set up a VFT, feed it, feed it single phase, and it shits out three phase. You just have to essentially override or oversize the, the VFD a little bit. But I had this happen to me, and I didn't think there was anything wrong with it because it was ramping up just fine. Mm-hmm. The only telltale sign, and it pissed me off because I, I spent 30 minutes trying to diagnose. It was one of the drives that basically used its own pressure transducer and only its own temperature sensor. So I'm sitting there trying to figure out why the pressure transducer is reading off by, I don't know, five or seven pounds. So I was making phone calls trying to figure out how to put a fucking override or offset in the pressure transducer. And when I talked to the guys, do you have a blown fuse? I'm like, no, I can't. There's no way. It's starting up fine. It's not over ramping, blah, blah, blah. He's a fuse. So I checked the fuse. Sure shit. I, it was one was tripped and it's because it didn't have the correct voltage for the DC voltage. It was screwing up the pressure transducer rating causing the pressure transducer to read wrong if you do find that where you have one of those units that's basically self-contained make sure that that your fuses are all straight because it might trip you out like it did me i don't know how many times i've had guys call me they're like hey this drives over amping randomly like i have gone through all the motors and it's, it's does it have three phases of power yeah because it's working i go no does it have three phases of power the and then sure shit usually there's an input fuse blown and it happens all the time. But yeah, like they, you could make a phase generator of that. Like I have a drill press at my house that's three phase, an older drill press that I ended up buying like a cheap drive off eBay. And that's how I make a third phase for it. It actually works fairly well. Yeah. Do you have to, you, did you have to oversize it for that or what? Yeah. It's just 10 or 15% oversized. Like it's not, mm-hmm. it won't last like hours. Like you can get a half hour cycle out of it. For it overheats, but it does work for what it needs to do. If you spend a lot more money on it, you can get a lot better one. But so that that's uh, the other part of that is like you can avoid all that if you enable the phase phase protection and the side of the drive. So the drive, most of them have it off from the get. If you enable the phase protection in the drive, it'll alert you that hey, I'm missing an input phase, and it'll stop the drive from running. But for some reason, in most customers' parameters, that is not enabled. Hmm. Trying to figure out how to spell it. Because I was looking for something. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I won't say it. I hate you. <laughs> Stop it. I'm just going to say I hate you. I could go on for hours. I no, don't. We don't have to. We, I'm just. I was looking for a document to share, and I was just trying to spell a word. That's all I was looking for. I wasn't looking for commentary. I was just looking at <laughs> asking. You shall receive. <sighs> Google's being dumb. All right, <sighs> <laughs> you're an ass. All right, guys. I guess we're done, and we'll talk to you next time. Have a good night.